Hello and welcome. The indolent vicar of Bray let his lovely red roses decay. His wife, more alert, bought a powerful squirt and said to her spouse, let us spray. We used to hear some strange prayers made in church in the old days when people adhered to a rather antiquated language. Lord, we pray for our brother John, who is lying on his bed of sickness. Or, Lord, we pray for our sister Joan, who is laid on one side. Lord, we pray for those who are sick of this fellowship. Lord, we pray that you will undertake for the dying. There was an English boy who prayed during an exam. God, please make Glasgow the capital of Scotland. Once you know this is a talk on prayer, I wonder if that makes you feel guilty. I wonder if you immediately think to yourself, oh, I don't pray enough. I find prayer difficult. My prayer life is ru rubbish. The reality is that lockdown has given us more time for prayer. But do we actually know how to use it to pray more effectively? Jesus, thankfully, took the sting out of prayer. Let me read to you from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And likewise in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. This prayer, it's so short, it's so brief, it's so concise, it's so simple, it's so comprehensive. In Matthew there are only six or maybe seven requests and in Luke there are only five. Luke leaves out your will be done and he leaves out deliver us from evil. So before we go into detail in the prayer let's look at one or two things and mainly Jesus designed this prayer for private use. He said in Matthew 6 verse 6 when you pray go into your room close the door and pray to your father who is unseen 
Now, there's no problem in using it in public prayer, in services. That's right and proper. But it's not how it was designed. It designed to be used when you'd gone into your room and shut the door. In other words, shut distractions out. Shut yourself in with God. And there are different ways of doing this. For some of you, it mean, might mean going out for a walk in the quiet countryside. For some of you, it might mean disappearing into the garden shed or, or, or using your bedroom. For some mums with children who are constantly clamouring for attention, they say the only place they can get quiet for quiet prayer is by going into the toilet. This prayer is designed for private devotions. Notice also how brief it is. It only takes about 40 seconds if you pray it quite slowly and carefully. And Jesus said, when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans. They think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them. So Jesus seems to value brevity in prayer. Notice also it's for daily use. Give us today our daily bread. Try putting the word daily after each request like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name daily. Your kingdom come daily. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven daily. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors daily. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one daily. Notice it's also in two forms. We have a longer version in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, and a shorter version in Luke's Gospel, chapter 11. What does that tell us? It tells us that this isn't a set form of words that have to be adhered to religiously without any change. It's not a set form of words which must never be varied. On the contrary, it's a pattern for prayer. When you pray, pray along these lines. Pray words like this. It's a shape. It's a skeleton for prayer, or if you like, it's a scaffolding. And around this scaffolding, you can build your own daily prayers. Now, some divide this prayer into four sections. And because in the English language, these words rhyme, they think this is helpful. They speak about adoration, our Father in heaven, submission, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done intercession give us daily bread and confession forgive us and lead us not into temptation adoration submission intercession and confession but we've learnt recently the power of a triple summary remember the words get brexit done which won a general election remember the words stay home protect the nhs save lives has helped to keep the coronavirus at bay. Is there then a simple triple summary of this prayer? I want to suggest that this prayer is about three matters. And if you've covered all three of these, you've covered everything. They are God, bread, sin. Let's look at God. In this prayer, we can see that God is fatherly, he is holy, he is kingly, he is willful. God is a provider, God is a forgiver, God is a protector, and God is a deliverer. The prayer starts with God. 
prayer should never start with ourselves. It begins with God, <clears throat> our Father. In Aramaic, Jesus used the word Abba, and you've probably been told that this was the word that children would use to speak to their father. This is true, but it's the only word they had for father. Uh, children of all ages, whether you were four or 14 or 40, you would address, <coughs> I'm sorry, you would address your father as Abba. That's the word they used. So to use it in the sense of daddy strikes me as being a, a little familiar, over familiar. Indeed, respected rabbis were sometimes called father too. But Jesus was the first to ever use the word Abba when directly speaking to God. This was revolutionary. This was breaking new ground. To call God Abba was something quite extraordinary. All fathers give life and good fathers are full of love. And so we speak of God as our father, but not in a familiar way, because we're told he is our father who is in the heavens. The heavens are where God is. The heavens are where Jesus is. And so the prayer reminds us of God's authority, his power, his majesty and his glory. So our father reminds us of how loving and close God is. We call that God's imminence. And being in heaven reminds us how great and awesome God is. We call that God's transcendence. Imminence and transcendence caught here in just a few words. Our father in the heavens. When I was in college, uh, there was a Hebrew class and, and a student was trying to translate into English from Psalm 99 verse 1. It says, or should say, God sits enthroned between the cherubim. It's about the glory and the transcendence of God. And this student was struggling to translate it and he translated it as God sits enthroned between the cabbages. Now, that's a terrible translation, but it's very good theology because it brings together the transcendence and the glory of God together with the closeness and the imminence of God, our Father in the heavens. Now, when you pray, what's the most important thing you pray for? What is your top priority? What comes first? If you were able to give me a transcript of all your prayers from last week, I could probably work out what your priority number one is in your prayers. Jesus said the first thing to pray for, the top priority, is that God's name should be hallowed. That God's name, his reputation, should be held in high honour. It should be respected. It should be treated as holy on a daily basis. All the following requests in this prayer contribute to this one, that God's name be honoured. The second request is your kingdom come. God's kingdom, Christ's kingdom, the Father's kingdom, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It's all the same thing. May your kingdom come. The kingdom of God is where Christ is king. 
The kingdom of God is where Jesus rules. John the Baptist pointed the way. He said the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God came with Jesus because the kingdom of God came in the person of the king. So he said, if I, by the spirit of God, drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. John the Baptist said the kingdom of God is near. Jesus is saying it's come. It's here now because I am the king. And the kingdom will be completed when Jesus returns and says, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. So your kingdom come has two senses. It means may more people be converted and join Jesus as their king in his kingdom. And may Jesus return and come back to this planet and establish his kingdom in its fullness. So we see then there are three Godward requests in this prayer. May God's name be honoured. May his kingdom be successful. And then may his will be done. Literally, let be done your will as in heaven, also upon the earth. We trivialise this. We make everything self-centred. And therefore, we tend to think this is about me and God's will. Should I marry this person? Should I move house? Should we have another baby? Should I change my job? We make it a self-centred prayer. Don't ask yourself the question, what is God's will? You know what God's will is. He wants to be your father. He wants to be your king. He wants you to hallow his name. He wants Christ's kingdom to come through you. That's God's will. Don't ask what is God's will. That's the wrong question. Ask, how is God's will done in heaven? And I'll tell you, it's done completely. It's done enthusiastically and it's done immediately. In complete contrast to how I do God's will. I do God's will in part. I do it half-heartedly. And I do it eventually. But the prayer is saying, may God's will be done completely, enthusiastically and immediately in my life today. Now notice that so far the pronouns have been you and your. Your name, your kingdom, your will. Three petitions about God. But now the pronouns change. They change from your and you to us and ours. When talking about God and his transcendence and his glory and his fatherhood and his kingdom and his will, we've been up there in the heavenlies. It's been glorious. But suddenly the prayer brings us down to earth with a bump. Suddenly we're praying about holiness. Suddenly we're praying about bread. Give us today our daily bread. Other translations, give us this day the bread we need. Give us our food for today. Give us each day the food we need. Or keep us alive with three square meals. And the present continuous tense is being used here. In other words, keep on giving us our bread, Lord. Thanks for yesterday. Keep on giving us our daily bread. 
By bread, Jesus means all the things we need to keep body and soul together. Martin Luther said, everything necessary for the preservation of this life, like food, a healthy body, good weather, house, home, wife, husband, children, good government, peace. In other words, by bread, Jesus means all your physical and your psychological needs. May they all be met by the Heavenly Father. But it is your needs and not your greeds that Jesus asks us to pray for. It's for our physical preservation, not our physical prosperity. He said, give us today our daily bread, not our daily cake. Famously, uh, Queen Marie Antoinette, the wife of King Louis XVI of France, heard that all, uh, most of the peasants in the land of France were starving and had nothing to eat. And allegedly she said, well, let them eat cake. But the guillotine dropped her head into a head basket and not into a bread basket. Jesus asked us to pray for what we need, not for our greed. So we're saying this prayer can be summed up in a triplet, God, bread and sin. We've been up in the glory, speaking about heaven and the Father and the King. Then we came down to earth with a bump and prayed for bread. And now we turn to people's deepest needs, that of sin. This prayer is called the Lord's Prayer, but it would better called the followers prayer because Jesus was without sin and therefore did not need to ask for forgiveness. But for us, sin is our gravest problem. Now, remember, this prayer is for those who have been born into God's family. The first words, our father. So these prayers are Christians. They are people who've been adopted into the family of God. They've been born again. So all their sins have been forgiven by grace. Why do they then pray, forgive us our trespasses? Well, let me tell you a parable, the parable of the dysfunctional green family. This is a story, so you don't need to send for the police. I have two children, and I love those two children, a boy and a girl, with unconditional love. They are my family, they are my offspring, I won't disown them. I will never divorce them. Now, my son has no idea about spending money. He spends money like water. And having run out of, uh, having run out of money, he asked his sister if he could borrow £10,000 and promised to pay it back with a standing order. The sister, who's careful with money and had saved a lot, lent her brother £10,000. But then the standing orders did not come through and they fell out with one another big time. So I asked them to come home for a family conference and there was one almighty row. And my daughter lost her temper and she punched my son, her brother, on his face and broke his jaw. And he shouted and swore at his sister. 
Now, remember, my love for them as their dad is unconditional. They were still my children, but the relationships have been damaged. The relationships needed to be restored. They needed to apologise to each other. My daughter needed to apologise for her loss of self-control. My son needed to apologise for not repaying her, his debt and then setting up the standing order in order to meet the debt. And then they needed to apologise to me because they had hurt my feelings. It wasn't that I was rejecting them. It's that the relationship between the three of us had broken down and the relationships needed to be restored by confession and repentance and forgiveness. When Matthew gives this prayer, he uses the word debts. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. We owe God so much we can never pay. He has forgiven us enormously. We ought to forget, forgive those who've done something against us. And Luke, in one of the words, uses the word for sin, which is about missing the target. How often we miss the target with God because the target is the standard of Jesus and none of us meet that target. And therefore we ask for forgiveness for missing the target. And then we forgive those who've missed the target with us. Father, when I couldn't pay you back for all my sins, you forgave me. Help me to let off all those who owe me something. Father, just as I have missed the targets you have set for me, help me to forgive those who have fallen short of my standards and have hurt me. The word as in this prayer forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, doesn't mean because, it means like. So when Jesus healed a man with a withered hand, the gospel says he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other, just as sound like the other. When Jesus was transfigured on the mountain, it says his face shone as the sun, it shone as the sun. So we asked God to forgive us like we should be forgiving those who sin against us. Let me tell you Jesus's parable about Goldman Sachs. The chief executive of Goldman Sachs ran up an enormous debt. He had taken risks on his own behalf and on behalf of the company, and he'd run up debts which ran into billions of dollars which could never be repaid. Somewhat sheepishly, he went to see the chairman of the board and confessed what he had done. And the chairman of the board decided to show mercy and to forgive him his misbehaviour and allow him to keep his job. Remember mercy from a previous week? The chief executive was so thankful and grateful to the chairman of the board and then returned to his comfortable and well-appointed office where he summoned a junior executive 
this junior executive himself rather sheepishly came into the chief executive's office and said, yes, sir, what can I do for you? And the chief executive said, you've made some mistakes while handling the money of Goldman Sachs. You have run up a debt of $500. You've got to pay that debt out of your own money. And the junior executive said, but, 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 but sir, I, I, I can't pay. I haven't got that much money. And so the chief executive had him arrested and thrown into prison. You'll know that parable as the parable of the unmerciful servant from Matthew's gospel. And it means that forgiven people should be forgiving people. If we've been forgiven the enormous debt of our sin because we've missed the mark with God so many times, we ought to be forgiving people who forgive others who sin against us. Three manward requests. Daily bread, the forgiveness of daily sins, and then to be spared testing. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. I see this as one request rather than two, like a coin with two sides. And it's a little bit odd because Jesus' brother James tells us that God never tempts anyone to sin. But who led Jesus into the desert in order to be tempted by the devil? It was the Holy Spirit. God led Jesus into the desert. It was the evil one who tempted him. The never popular 1961 translation of the Bible, known as the New English Bible, translated this as, do not bring us to the test. Other translations, don't bring us to the great trial. Another one, do not bring us to hard testing. God the Father allows his children to face times of hard testing, which will either strengthen their faith or lead to a sinful reaction. It happened to Jesus in the desert. It happened to Peter outside Pilate's court. It happened to Thomas when he missed the resurrection. It happened to Stephen as stones were raining down upon him to kill him. It happened to Ananias and Sapphira when they sold property. It happened to Paul when he was chained up in jail. It happened to John when he was exiled to an island in the Mediterranean Sea. And in our own day, it happened to Asiya Bibi, who was held in prison for eight years, waiting to be executed. Times of testing will come our way as Christians. Pray that you may be delivered and that you won't fall into sin. So let's bring this talk to a conclusion. The disciples had asked Jesus to teach them to pray. And he'd given them a prayer which was so concise, so comprehensive, the work of a genius. There are only three subjects in it, God, bread and sin. And only six requests, three towards God, that his name might be respected, that his kingdom might come and that his perfect will may be done on a daily basis in the life of the Christian praying. 
And then there are three requests which are towards us. Bread, forgiveness and testing. Oh, but you say, I, I found a fault in it. There's something missing. There's something wrong. There's no intercession in this prayer. There's no element of praying for the blessing of God upon others. No, you're wrong. Look at the first word. The first word is our, our Father, not my Abba, our Abba. And when you pray this prayer, that our could include your family, perhaps you and your husband or wife, or you and your, 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 your spouse and children. It could include your friends. It could be about your church. It could be a particular group that you belong to. Your life group, for example, it could be about your city. It could be about your nation. This prayer is a prayer for a group. Our Father. Pray this prayer daily, but use it as a pattern for your prayer. Use it as a kind of scaffolding around which you can build prayer. And don't set out to pray too long. Jesus seemed to like prayers that were concise and brief and sharp and to the point. Let's close by saying this prayer together. And in this context, we will regard the group as being all those who are listeners to this WhatsApp talk. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen.